What is going on? Shouting out to Whisper Nation, all the guys in the chat here, um, and those that will be coming up soon after that as well. We've got Anthony, Albert, Freak Stump, and all of these guys that are going to be pouring in as well. And if you want to be the latest member of Whisper Nation, like these guys we're about to shout out here, then you can hit that subscribe button and follow us on all the platforms that are listed in the description as well. So we'll shout out these newest members. Got to get them up here. Christopher Mazur, Sega248, Lithium66, NFL Outdated, Uriel Yuki Klein, Faceoff Sports, Steffi Smalls, Sniper1341, got to be real, Yodel, T.O., uh, so we appreciate everybody there. And of course, on today's episode, we're joined by a very special guest, Pat Corain. You know him from his work over at NBC Sports Edge and the Ship Chasers podcast. And if you haven't yet, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Pat Corain, which is uh, right there on his description. It's also in the description of the video as well. Uh, what is going on, Pat? Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, no, no, no problem. Uh, tell the people what you're working on lately. Uh, I know you guys are working on the draft kit, right? Yeah, the draft guide, uh, which should be out pretty soon. I think it, you know, kind of the end of the June, end of June, uh, the draft guide magazine should be out. Uh, so I've been working on rankings for that redraft rankings, dynasty rankings update, which is also on the premium side of our site. Uh, also, but just a bunch of articles, team previews, player previews, all that good stuff. Awesome. We'll get some of the, uh, particulars out of the way and, and talk a little bit about you man we, we've got a rapid fire questionnaire here to start the show off wanted to ask you so whisper nation get to know you a little bit better and just kind of what you're into here so if you don't mind we'll, we'll rock through these here so do you root for your nfl team or your fantasy team more i don't have an nfl team right i'm, oh, I'm a true perfect. fantasy uh wow. Whoa. Why would oh. i root for an nfl team you know we're playing <laughs> fantasy here what a, All oh, right. I meet the most unbiased analyst I've ever met, man. I've never <laughs> met one that hasn't uh, had a team. That's awesome. What year did you start playing fantasy football? I think 99. It was uh, it was like a league where it was the dumbest scoring settings where you, I think it was like, we got like a quarter point or a half point per carry. So oh, like Eddie George. PPC? Yeah. It was crazy. It, so like, Eddie George was averaging like 3.8 yards per carry that year in a Jeff Fisher offense. They're just like slamming him into the line and he was a superstar. So like my <laughs> perception of like what fantasy football was and how you win was like so absurdly skewed by this oh league. Oh my God. That's awesome. That's pretty good. Trent Richardson could have used that sophomore Oh season. yeah. <laughs> he would have been awesome. <laughs> Favorite fantasy football player of all time, Pat. I mean, Ladanian Tomlinson, I feel like, you know, was, was the guy in that era. And I just remember, you know, like, so just wanting the one-on-one so bad and, you know, not getting it. And you're just like, what's the point? Yeah. Well, you must, you <laughs> had to play with during the uh, Priest Holmes days, too, as well. Yeah. that yep. Yeah. I love Priest Holmes. Yeah. I was actually, I was on a Swolecast and uh, giving, uh, giving Kitchen a little, I was saying Priest Holmes is a better uh had a better career than than derrick henry just to just to need oh. a little oh <laughs> i mean but come on what what a career priest holmes had Cut yeah. short so, so least favorite player of all time is derrick henry then no well uh, <laughs> only, if I'm, only if i'm on the soul cast <laughs> um what what is a sound or noise that you love i do like a a you're on the clock notification that isn't jarring Ooh. Ooh. You know, uh, DraftKings could really work on that. Uh, they pause whatever you're you're playing and and blast you in the ear. I don't I don't like that very much. 
I don't really like a, a, a really loud you're on the clock. Could do without yeah. that. Just a nice, subtle notification. That's, you ever drafted on really NFL.com? Because they have Goodell. That's their you're oh, on the clock. They oh. actually say, you're on the clock. You're right. on the clock. <laughs> yeah. So everyone yeah. starts booing. Yeah. Hey, Travis got Travis got caught during a, a a meeting when we were having a league meeting, and he was hey. mock drafting, and we heard it. We heard that Roger Goodell come up. <laughs> he, he got exposed by Goodell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're supposed uh, to be bylaws, man. He does bylaws. that. Goodell does that. Yeah. Cat, favorite swear word. Are we cursing on this? Yeah, you're yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck is the, obviously the box. Okay. I mean, it's, it's the, been uh, three for three so far. Yeah, so we're good. That, that's... <laughs> I don't know if there's a better one. So. <laughs> what, are, what are the most leagues you played in at one time? I mean, last year we were in, I think we had like 14 high stakes leagues and I'm always oh. in too many dynasty leagues. Uh, I mean, I probably was in like 14 or 15 of those. Do you sell um, off a bunch of dynasty leagues though? Like do you end up having I, I never have, but I probably should soon. Because <laughs> I keep joining. Like, I took over. Uh, this year, I did a startup. We did some ship chasing startups. And then I took over uh, an orphan in the Roto World League. So I added two. Like, the plan is always to not add any. And then you, like, add two. And you're like, that wasn't too bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about cookies at the end of the night, too. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, most exciting fantasy football moment. Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I remember like. I, I I remember kind of the bad stuff more. Like I remember when Fred Jackson <laughs> was. Uh, I had this incredible team, like the best team I'll ever have. Uh, I drafted Gronk and Jimmy Graham together in the same year that they broke out. Ooh. And uh, John Paulson's ranks, by the way, got me on those guys. So shout out to to four for four, John Paulson, back in two thousand eleven. But. Uh, then that team lost Fred Jackson on Thanksgiving. I remember being at my grand grandmother's house and realizing I probably wasn't going to win it without Freddie. Some some pretty <laughs> devastating injuries on Thanksgiving. Yeah, Thanksgiving's man. always a, yeah. yeah, it can be a bummer. Uh, favorite game day bre- beverage? Well, it's it used to be an IPA, and then I got into the sours. Um, but I'm covering games now on Sunday, so it's kind of, it's like you can't drink. Like a, it's like a LaCroix. Yeah, we can't. Yeah, <laughs> you can't admit that you drink. It's a LaCroix. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do. So the playoffs are better because I can have a couple beers during the playoffs oh. because like we the playoff schedule. I'd not I don't have to blurb the game. I just have to know what happened. And then we'll do like a, a recap kind of, kind of podcast. that's pretty loose. But yeah. after this, the Sunday games, I do a recap podcast where I interview everyone who covered the games. And it's like got to be game. really tight. Yeah. yeah, game by game, and I'm responsible for keeping it a certain length. So, like, and then you have your own really game too, right? Like, I have my own games yeah. that I have to do solo, uh, and that's already like you know you can mess up a solo <laughs> pod pretty quickly. So, right? Yeah, you can't really show up tipsy. Dot. It it would be nice, but I can't. <laughs> Boneless or bone in on your wings? Uh, I mean, they're not wings if they don't have bones. So, there oh, wow. I mean, I guess. Wow. Coming right. for the chicken nuggets squad. Yeah, hit yeah, him. I mean, I don't like chicken nuggets as much as the next guy, but you know, if the question nuggets. is about wings, they yeah. should probably have bones. All right, kickoff is in two minutes. You're still deciding your flex. Do you go with your gut or your weekly rankings? So I guess I the the way I would normally decide that is like kind of my gut, but I would I would like think about it like what does this team need like what's the matchup like i would kind of go through that like oh i you know i'm already being forced to start this running back who's kind of 
he's like a it's JD McKissick or whatever. Like I, I know he's not going to smash. So I really need to swing for the fences with this flex. That's, that's probably how I'd go, go through it. I like it. I like it. All right. So this last one's kind of Dick. Uh, it's like our guest question. It's, it's, uh, you know, tailored towards you, but I'm going to have the other guys answer first on ship chasers. We heard Pete say that sky Moore has the best fucking name he has heard for a wide receiver ever. Uh, we wanted to know who else or current or past you think has a great name for fantasy football. Austin, I'll start with you. I got two. First one is Cooper cup. I think his dad was spot on when he said, you know what name would sound really good coming out of a loudspeaker? Cooper Cup, and he was right. The other one I got to throw out there is Bo Jackson. Mainly, well, it's awesome, but it was also my my pseudonym when I was doing some tracking activities back in 2014 was Mo Jackson. It was based (laughs) off of Bo Jackson. So if I ever needed to go to an event and I didn't really want people following up with who I was, it was Mo Jackson. So that's my, uh, those are my two. Ronald says Ocho Cinco, although he changed his name to Ocho Cinco. So I don't know if that counts. Hey, it's Uh, Johnny. What about you? I would have to go, actually, speaking of Ocho Cinco, not uh, Chad Ocho Cinco himself, but his uh, one, at one point, his receiving mate, TJ Hushmanzada. That is just a fun name to say. I, I never had him on any of my rosters, unfortunately, but I do like the name. All right, Pat, bring us home here. I'll go with Albert Okwegbanam, who everyone refuses to, to even say the guy's name. But uh, but I literally, I literally went and looked up a, a video of him saying his name because I was like, I'm sick of not saying. Well, you know what? Name. You say it differently after that video than I've heard anybody who actually has the balls to say it. Like it doesn't sound like they say it right. Okay. Can you say it one more time? Yeah, I believe it's Okwegbunam. Because it's a big part of this show and mine personally speaking to get people's names on the T. And it's actually a pet project I want to develop to have like a set of Instagram reels where we get every single NFL player just to say their own name because it's really I, hard. I would love that. Yeah. 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 Like when a Heineke, uh, Heineke and, you know, you're just like, well, Najee, uh, I loved when Najee did it. Najee was like, everyone keeps saying Najee. And he's like, it's Najee. Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor. Right. CJ yeah. Uzuma, yeah, he did, he did. He actually did a video. Oh, he, really? Where he yeah, it was a funny video. Yeah, he had some fun with it. Awesome. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get into some news and notes here, and we'll go through the panel and talk a little bit about it. It'll be interesting to see if Pat was actually responsible for blurbing some of this stuff. But we've got uh, the first one on the docket here. Saquon Barkley expects to be more involved as a receiver this season. Pat, we're about to see Saquon at his lowest price since you know, ever. So are you buying into his role in the offense? Are you buying in uh, Saquon, you know, kind of fluke injury last year, stepping on that other player's foot? I'm mostly buying. Yeah. I, it's a tough, he's in a really rich area of the draft where like, I love T Higgins. I, I want to make bets on AJ Brown. Like there's lots of guys in that range that I think are really good picks. Um, but I do like, I mean, a third round Saquon Barkley sounds like, something we should be targeting and i think they're going to be passing a lot more i mean that, that's a pretty safe bet uh i don't believe that daniel jones will be like good this year i think daniel jones is just not good like i i don't coaches are important but it's a quarterback like he's either good or he's not you know so mm. uh that's i don't i don't really like i'm having a hard time getting like fully optimistic about the giants but i think there should be some value there and matt breed is the backup i feel like Barkley could pretty easily just play 80, 85%, 90% of the snaps. I mean, they gave them in Singletary 100% of snaps in a playoff game. Uh, Brian Dable did. So that part's pretty exciting. He just, it's not a super valuable backfield, but he gets everything. And I thought at times he looked 
like vintage Saquon Barkley last year. He obviously didn't have a great year, but there were some really nice runs and uh, he had some breakaway runs. And so I, I'm not like, I don't believe that Saquon's like washed. Hmm. I'm with you on that. I think he's a huge value this year. So it'll be fun to see where that ADP kind of winds up when we start drafting August. Uh, Moving on here, we've got Gus Edwards, ACL. He was held out of Ravens voluntary OTA. So was J.K. Dobbins. Austin, they also brought in Mike Davis. So are you worried yet or is this just kind of the rumblings early on and and we'll be okay by the time, uh, you know, training camp runs around? I think he's going to be all right overall. I am just concerned about the Baltimore backfield, generally speaking, because of how much a committee orientation it has been and continues to be. And I think that Gus Edwards is one of the most underrated players out there, but I still do hold my breath of what he would do with a larger workload coming in. So I'm a little concerned about the overall backfield from fantasy purposes, but not really concerned too much about Gus Edwards and his recovery from the ACL. Well, speaking of large, DeAndre Swift, the Detroit Free Press reports that DeAndre Swift looks bigger this summer. And in related news, Johnny grew half an inch when he read this headline. (laughs) That's right, dude. I am so jacked on this. Have you seen those photos? My boy looks so good. Woo! Look, I actually wanted to ask you, like, how much do you buy it? Remember CMC a couple years ago looked bulked up. They did the Mike Davis, like, looking jacked. These pictures, you know aesthetically they look great for your running back you want to be like a bell cow but do you do you buy into these bull uh you know these running backs bulking up well not really i mean the the it's more about like what your what the coaches are going to take from it i think like if the coaches feel better about using him at the goal line now awesome but like i don't think deandre swift's really good and you know i think he's probably got like a 15 pound range at which he can be really good uh maybe you know at the high end of that range he's going to be a little less dynamic, but maybe better at the goal line or something and, and gets a, a few more goal line carries. So I think it probably it's probably mostly noise. Right. Moving on, we're going to talk about Kareem Hunt. The Cleveland Plain Dealer reports that the Browns have not had substantive talks with the contract year running back Kareem Hunt. Johnny, uh, when you look at Kareem Hunt, it, the news was maybe he'd be dealt, maybe he'd be cut. Um, he's kind of in this scenario, but it looks like he's probably staying put. How do you feel about the backfield in Cleveland? I really hope that he does end up going to another team so that way we can really see uh, Nick Chubb fully unleashed. But again, I think it, it he'll probably end up there uh, when all said and done, and it's probably going to be a lot similar to what we've seen. It will be interesting. He is – okay, so he's that borderline RB2, right? But with Deshaun Watson, say potentially for half the season, does Cleveland's run game may – become more intriguing when Deshaun comes back because it would indicate that you'd probably have hunt in the backfield a little bit more. Are you, are you asking me? I mean, I, for me, like, I think that hunt, well, if you look at Deshaun over the, his history, he's not targeted the running back too much. So if we're already like lowering the targets, that's where I get, I think, you know, it's more of a contingency thing with hunt, even though he's kind of defined a role. Um, but then again, I don't know, like, I, I guess I'd be open to being talked into it because they don't have a lot of weapons there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, maybe he does carve it out. We'll move on to another Cleveland Brown though here. A source tells the Cleveland plain dealer that the Seattle Seahawks would likely sign Baker Mayfield if he was released by the Browns. Austin, this kind of makes like a lot of sense. Obviously that's why we think he hasn't been dealt. Mm-hmm. I think that my stance on Baker is the same one that it's been. Mm -hmm. They need to work with Baker. Both sides need to come together, put all their cards on the table and say, look, Baker, we loved you at one point. We're moving on. 
we're trying to get rid of you. We're trying to make a deal happen. People are just not interested with what they have currently seen last from you. So, hey, we're going to do something that works for both of us. We're going to go ahead and have you start out our season because we expect an suspension for Deshaun Watson. This is going to give you, Baker Mayfield, a chance to showcase what you're really about now that you're healed up. Our team is improved. You can come in here, make the most of this situation, set our our team up well for Deshaun Watson to come in, take over, hopefully have a head start to get us into the playoffs, and then you get to come off six, eight, nine games, whatever that suspension ends up being, showing other teams what you're capable of, and then we will work with you to find a team you want to go to and we'll make that happen. I think that these two sides having little pissing matches and trying to have an egotistical rundown on this is hurting both of them. It makes a lot of sense if you're asking me, given where it seems the climate is for Baker and where Baker's climate is out himself and the future plans of the Browns. This, to me, seems like the most logical path. I hope that they can all take a moment to breathe and come together and do what's best for the fans of Cleveland. Well, we'll see what happens there. Another another franchise with some quarterback questions here is Miami. Tua Tagovailoa expects more downfield passing opportunities this season. Pat, this has been like one of the biggest ones, like biggest offense I've looked at is like curious because of all the changes that they've had and with the new coordinator or the new head coach coming in with Mike McDaniel. How do you feel about Tua and this offense? And, you know, we're drafting obviously Tyreek Hill high, Jalen Waddell, you know, kind of the situation going on in there in Miami. I'm pretty optimistic about the offense, but I'm not that optimistic about about Tua because I don't think he's going to have a ton of running, uh, ton of rushing upside this year, and like just kind of what we've seen from Jimmy Garoppolo is like we we know that San Francisco can support a lot of weapons, but won't necessarily make the quarterback a fantasy star. And Tua is somewhat similar to to Garoppolo. He's he's very accurate. He doesn't really challenge downfield, but he can throw downfield. And I, I don't feel like he's, you know, someone who's like can only throw short or has like a problem where he refuses to throw downfield because, you know, he didn't they're using Waddle in this really low A dot role and he didn't really have any downfield weapons last year. I mean Devontae Parker is not really like his style of downfield weapon. And the offensive line last year was horrendous. It was horrible at pass blocking. It was horrible at run blocking. Like He's like, yes, he's he's definitely not like Ryan Fitzpatrick or whatever. He's not like going to challenge downfield as like his first instinct. But I do think he'll, you know, with Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, really smart scheme and better offensive line play. I think he'll he'll take his shots. But I don't think this is going to be like, you know, the, the Bruce Arians type of offense where they're where they're throwing downfield as like a core part of what they do. Right. I mean, so much last year, they were high in, in pass attempts last year. Miami was one of the league leaders in pass attempts. And then you look at San Francisco, they're one of the bottom teams in pass attempts. So I'm just wondering what we're going to get because McDaniel, yes, comes from San Francisco. But, you know, that this team was it was like ingrained in them last year. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Moving on to another piece about uh, running backs weight here. The Athletics Mark Caboli uh, reports that Najee Harris is up to 244 pounds. I thought it was funny because. Then Najee responded to someone on Twitter and said, brah, I weighed 240 last year. Reporters really don't be knowing nothing, just be tweeting shit. So uh, <laughs> yeah, dude. whether have... or not Najee is actually 244, Johnny, uh, are you excited about Najee as you are DeAndre Swift? I think he's going to be a top five. I mean, the system dictates that he would 
he's going to be a, a barring injury. He would be a top five guy, top 10 guy. So I think he's one of the safest running backs. So that's where his appeal majorly comes to me this year. But I did think that this was really interesting because once again, you look at it and you're like, you know, you raise your eyebrow and you're like, wow, that's, that's a lot of weight. And then for him to be like, Oh no, no, no. I, I did play at 244. That's a big boy. I didn't realize he was that big. Yeah. I mean, and, and he's not exactly like he did. Like he had a great season last year volume wise. He didn't exactly look like the best running back. So we'll see what happens, like what meeting yeah. we get there. Uh, sticking with the Steelers here, Deontay Johnson. Uh, well, he was first reported not to at Steelers OTAs. Then he went to OTA. So I guess I want to frame this in a dynasty light. Uh, Austin, <laughs> are you like with new quarterback in? Obviously, they drafted the wide receivers. Where are you at with Deontay Johnson? Are you kind of holding him or are you trying to get out of Deontay? I just on a gut level with it, I think Deontay Johnson is really talented. I do think he benefited from Ben Roethlisberger's play style of last year. If you could get a premium price on Deontay Johnson, I'd be eager to take that. It would have to be a premium price because I do believe in Deontay Johnson. I think he's really good. I think he still is the top dog over there. But if you can get someone biting in at that top value for him, I would almost, I mean, Deontay Johnson or otherwise, I'd say consider that. In this specific case, you know, if you can trade hype for substance, I do that. And I'm concerned there's a little bit more hype surrounding Deontay Johnson because of the relationship he had with Big Ben, one that we just can't guarantee with a new quarterback behind center and the new additions, as you mentioned, coming into the Steelers wide receiver room. Yeah, definitely. I think. Oh, go ahead, Pat. I think he's one of the most overvalued players in Dynasty. Uh, mm. He's treated like he's this, you know, like young star, but he's going to be playing with a rookie quarterback. They just added Pickens. Claypool is good and might be moving to the slot potentially for, for some snaps because Pickens is not going to play in the slot. So uh, you could have maybe Claypool getting targeted at a higher rate, which would really hurt Johnson because that's kind of his thing. And then let's say he has like an okay year. Now he hits the free agent market. So you got you to gotta play that game. So Johnson sets you up in Dynasty where you like have to be right. Like he has to be good with a new quarterback and difficult target competition to maintain the current valuation. And then he also probably has to sign with a team that we like because the Steelers have generally let their wide receivers walk uh, mm -hmm. instead of like Antonio Brown. They let them go. So that's a lot of risk. There's like a ton of risk with Deontay Johnson. He's not, he's not priced like that. He's priced like he's one of the safest assets that you can get. And I completely disagree with that. Mm -hmm. So you think it's going to be switched over? You don't you don't believe in Mitch? Mitch Trubisky either? No, no, I don't believe in Mitch. <laughs> I think I think Pickett starts 17. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like with the capital, they probably have to start Pickett, right? Like, well, you don't take him in the first round. And the archetype. Sorry. Like, you took the pro-ready guy. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And everyone else went third round, I guess. So maybe um, – Maybe there was like a bitter, bigger discrepancy between these these guys in the NFL's eyes than we thought. Mm. Um, but I don't know if you're taking Kenny Pickett and, and like he's seen generally as a, a pretty low ceiling NFL quarterback, but who's ready right now and he's fifth year guy. You know, he can step right in, um, and then you don't play him right away. That seems just kind of like a waste. Moving on to another wide receiving room. Uh, well, this news is, is mostly about Jerry Judy here. The Arapahoe County District Attorney's Office has filed a motion to dismiss second-degree domestic tampering charges against Jerry Judy. Uh, we got some technical di difficulties oh. here, but Jerry Judy <laughs> is having these charges dismissed. 
Uh, Austin, how are you feeling about Judy here? Obviously, this year is good. And then this wide receiving room in general with Russell Wilson coming to town. I hope everybody who's involved in this situation is healthy and safe and moving on to better moments in their lives. With that said, this has no effect on my evaluation for Jerry Judy coming in. I'm excited to see what Russell Wilson and a more offensively focused Denver Broncos can do for all of their playmakers, Jerry Judy included. All right, Patrick Mahomes told reporters at OTAs that he expects his wide receiver targets to be more spread out in 2022. You know, so Johnny, maybe we're at the point where we've been asking, is it MVS? Is it Sky Moore? Is it Juju Smith-Schuster? Maybe it's just the answer is no. And it's just going to be this, you know, everybody's going to eat into each other and we're not going to have one guy, you know, outside of Kelsey. Uh, How do you feel about the wide receiver room in in Kansas City? I think it just you I mean, you want to take your dart throw, right? You want to at least grab one of these guys because that just signifies to me that there could that that they don't necessarily have it set at who is going to be that kind of funnel uh, target funnel. Uh, I do still like Juju there. I think he is a very talented wide receiver. I think that, you know, two years ago, he's still really young. And, and seeing that two years ago, he was one of the best in the league. We'll see what he could now do with Pat Mahomes. Um, but I do think that, you know, there are going to be weeks where Mecole is going to be a great matchup. There are going to be, you know, weeks because and it's inevitable that MVS is going to catch, you know, a couple bombs on on one of the weeks. So he'll be startable at one point. So, yeah, I just kind of want to get a piece of this offense. You know, Sky Moore could also have a I want to I want to do a little experiment here with everybody on the panel. I want everybody to plant their flag on one receiver not named Kelsey to like stand out. So. So Johnny, go ahead. Who, who do you think it's going to be? Juju. Okay, Austin. I'm going Miko. Okay, Pat. Sky Moore. <laughs> so that first, it was a perfect setup. I think that that's where we're at. Everybody like, and I think Johnny, you put it well. Like, if I'm in best ball, and maybe Pat, you could speak to this. I'm I'm exposing myself to all the different ones, especially when they come up as a value. But I uh, are are you all in on on Sky Moore? I mean, I know you love Sky Moore, Pat, but is that the I'm only- not all in. I mean, okay. uh, the I feel like the best ball community is conspiring to make sure I don't go all in. And it's nice of them. You know, diversification is a good thing. But, you know, his ADP is a little high. It's a little high. He's going above Garrett Wilson. Like, he's he's not a better prospect than Garrett Wilson. Like, yeah. You're isn't. getting uncomfortable now drafting. Yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. I, I do still take him. I just yeah. don't take him in every draft like, like I might have. So, uh, and also, like, MVS, I think. To me, MVS if I kind of remove my bias is the best one. I mean, you're getting, you're getting him a few rounds after sky Moore. you're getting him way after Juju and he has the most money. He has the most money and he's signed to pass this year. Juju's on a one year prove it deal. I mean, he's the guy that they might actually be interested in installing as like a key part of their offense. And he's not going to be like a classic number one receiver, but they need someone to, be able to take the top off defenses like that was a, a crucial part and it won't be maybe as as important um since you know they're not going to be able to directly replace tyree kill because he's not replaceable but um I, I think that getting him as if he's like not a key part of the offense when he very much could be is like a really nice value all right we're going to move to new orleans where Jameis winston uh is moved with a visible limp during last week's otas <laughs> Awesome. When we looked at this headline, then we dug a little bit deeper into the, I mean, of course he's got a limp, right? Like it's, it's not like he's out there. I mean, he just tore it in what October, I think it was week seven. So, I mean, 
How are you thinking the limp is a big deal here, or are you thinking that uh, he's just kind of rushing to come back? Or I'm not stoked about a limp. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know in what world that's okay. I mean, even when we laugh about Adrian Peterson's pimp limp running 70 yard tutties for the Washington football team, I think at the time, like, no, dude, I'm, I'm not feeling awesome about a limp. Yeah. I mean, I go ahead, Pat. Well, I had the question. I, I think this is the question um, regarding the saints right now is, are you guys drafting Taysom Hill in the 18th round on underdog where he has tight end eligibility? Oh, don't they have Dalton? You don't, you think they do have Dalton? Yes, they do have Dalton. So, I mean, I I think they'd probably go to Dalton with the defensive coach. But what if they don't? Sean Payton Payton is gone. Yeah. Round 18. Who do you really like? Go do it. Yeah. I'm not going to poo poo you, but I just better than Julian Edelman. Like it's a defense. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's for sure. Be careful with news articles coming out on April 1st. Yeah. Yeah. Especially. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. uh, Moving on. Still in New Orleans, though, to Chris Olave, Saints assistant general manager. Jeff Ireland said that wide receiver Chris Olave said he reminds me of some players who have played in our league, the Marvin Harrisons, who were just silky smooth and effortless. Pat, I know that you haven't been the highest on uh, Chris Olave. The opportunity, you know, kind of seemed there than Jarvis Landry. Obviously, we've got the Michael Thomas debacle. Where are you at with Chris Olave uh, coming into 2022? I'm not as high as some others, and it's like I he goes ahead of Garrett Wilson by a couple picks now in best ball drafts. And, um, you know, I'm happy to take Wilson after him. I think Wilson is a, is a better prospect, but Olave had a very good career. Um, I, I guess like the thing with the four year players, like it is tough for me to get too excited about a guy who returned to school. And I, I think the thing is that it's like, you know, he, he wouldn't have gone where he went in the NFL draft if he had come out last year. Right. Cause otherwise he would have come out. So that's really why, you know, the early declare stuff matters so much is that like, yeah, the saints trade up for him and, you know, give the world for him, but they, they needed that fourth college season to get there in that, with that level of excitement. And that historically has been a pretty big red flag, but that's not to say that he can't be like a good NFL player. I was comping him to Emmanuel Sanders. Like I think he's probably that type of guy where he's like a really good number two wide receiver. Um, and ultimately the bar that what we want for fantasy is like, is, is like absurdly high. Like what we're, what we're asking for these prospects when they come in, it, you know, we want them to be fantasy superstars. We're like, right it's on. not good. I don't care if you're your best, the best receiver on your team. That does nothing for me. I need you to be like a top five actual NFL receiver in the league. So um, my process is that I'll, I'll sometimes miss, I'll miss low on a guy like Chris Olave potentially with the goal of like capturing the superstars is, is at least what I tell myself. But um yeah, I'll probably be a little bit lower than Olave, but I'm not like out. Like I don't think he's a bad pick in best ball. I don't think he's I don't think he was like a bad prospect or anything. I think he'll be good. And so I've heard it kind of tossed around that the he he came back for the fourth year due to COVID. And so we've talked a little bit about like kind of the structure of COVID and how that's affecting kind of draft capital and things like that. Do you think that has any play here or do you gonna strictly try to still go by history and the numbers here? Well, I I would that would work more for me if he hadn't then been inefficient as a senior and outplayed by a sophomore in Jackson Smith and Jigba and uh, a junior in Garrett Wilson. That would, you know, if he came back and had like a Devontae Smith season and then it was like, yeah, you really didn't need to come back. And right. and then you showed everyone that would, I would feel a bit different about it. I see. 
All right, we'll move on here to DK Metcalf. Pro Football Focus's Brad Spellbeger says projects Metcalf next contract to be five years, $130 million. Johnny, we know DK is probably not going to be like, would you bet that he's going to stay with the Seahawks to get this deal? It doesn't look like that, right? And then where, where are you at with kind of the wide receivers in Seattle this year? I mean, I, I, I don't know who's going to be the starting quarterback as of right now. Is it Drew Locke? Is it going to be Baker Mayfield? Is it going to be uh, Geno Smith? Like, I know that they do have confidence in Drew Locke. Like, there are a lot of rumblings that they really did want Drew Locke. Again, there are signs pointing that DK would be the more beneficiary uh, for that uh, type of quarterback. But again, if it's Baker, it could be a different story because then you're looking at probably a little bit more of Lockett being involved uh, in that kind of game plan to me. So I think it's going to be like a you know ear to the ground kind of thing and, and hearing and waiting to see where Baker, if Baker lands there, as to ultimately where I like uh, or who I like more this this year, but I do think DK is a buy low right now if you're in dynasty because I do think that there is going to be a team that will pay him if Seattle does you know trade him or Pete Carroll ends up leaving, you know, and and then they can open up this offense and and get a alpha like DK and more involved. I can't believe Seattle traded Russell Wilson. I'm still so like, (laughs) what were you doing? Uh, Anyways, uh, we'll move on to another mind boggling headline here. Uh, Antonio Brown said the the headline is just everything here. Interviewed during a (laughs) fan controlled football game. Okay. Free agent Antonio Brown said of his chances playing in the NFL in 2020. Nah, don't play yourself looking at me to play Austin. uh, (laughs) Just speak on Antonio Brown a little bit (laughs) for the brand, baby. As our boy, Matt Poffin, a.k.a. Fat Motvin, guest of the show, you see him here as he likes to say, Antonio Brown is no longer a football player. Antonio Brown is an entertainer. And so what do I think of this headline? For the brand. For the <laughs> He's going to build up hype, come back. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And again, Her- it's going to be. For the brand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Irv Smith here. Uh, when we were speaking about Irv Smith, Vikings head coach, Kevin O'Connell said, He's ready to absorb all of this and be in the position to play fast, go play with a bunch of confidence that he's going to be a major part of what we do. Um, Pat, I want to talk about the Vikings because I think they're kind of under the radar a little bit. And with this new transition, Kevin O'Connell, do you see some real upside? Obviously, Justin Jefferson, but in the offense as a whole, being a better than expectation this year? Yeah, I do. I definitely think there's upside. Um, one thing looking at the Vikings last year is they like, didn't run a ton of routes. Like if you just look at like how many routes were out there on any given play, like the Vikings are kind of one of the lower ones and the Rams are, are among the league leaders. So like the tight end is running a route. The (laughs) running back is running a route. They're not staying into block. Right. And so like, if you just think about that, like, Oh yeah. Like Simmer's calling max protect. That's not helping. So it's not even just about, how many passing plays there are and about, you know, the Vikings last year, they only passed when they had to pass. They weren't passing in situations that were actually going to set up the passing game to succeed. They were, they were turning to the passing game when other things hadn't succeeded, which sets the passing game up to fail. So I think like there's just so many kind of like small ways that they can tweak the offense to create edges for the passing game. Um, In addition towards, 
just calling more passes. And I think they will be like kind of a balanced offense, kind of like the Rams where we see them as like, you know, a pass first, but not pass heavy team, kind of like the Rams, kind of like Dallas, like one of those types of teams. I expect we'll see the the Vikings kind of in that tier, but like coming from the Vikings, which, you know, are kind of like Seattle-esque in their, in their play calling tendencies, that's like a pretty big shift. So um, I like wasn't drafting Adam Thielen much last year, which, you know, I probably should have just because of his, his touchdown role. But uh, like, yeah, I, I, I'm more open Irv to Smith. Irv Smith, Thielen, Osborne, like throwing in those guys on stacks. Like if I have Jefferson and, and making like a stack out of it is more fun this year than it was last year for sure. And I, I'm, I'm doing it more. Sounds good. Uh, we got George Kittle, uh, who is missing OTAs, and he's expected to miss the rest of them with a lower body injury. Austin, are you concerned about Kittle here? Not just with the injury, but we've, we're moving to Trey Lance as well. Um, I know we've drafted him a bit in best ball, but how do you feel about like managed leagues, redraft, that, that kind of situation? Not good, my dude. <laughs> but uh, I like we're playing fantasy football and let it ride. And I think that George Kittle might be the most high ceiling tight end in the NFL today, just given the way he is. He's a fucking animal, dude. He loves football. It's so obvious. He hurts himself all the time because of how he plays. And then he rushes to get back and go do it to himself again. Like, I love George Kittle. He's one of my favorite players, if I'm honest. But he gets hurt so often, and he doesn't seem to have a lot of regard for these injuries. I don't see people who have suffered a lot of injuries get older and then continue to play the way they played and get hurt less. And so, yeah, yeah I'm concerned. But in, like in best ball where I can get him, I like the upside. I like him. I think his upside is higher than anybody's just based on who he is. But if he keeps deteriorating, so will his points. Dude, he's giving me major Jordan Reed vibes. Like I oh. hate to say it, but like it's not as he's like a rich, a rich man. And he's got and he's hit a ceiling that Reed never hit. But I'm just saying, like that's what the vibes I'm picking up. Don't you mm. put that bad juju on him, man? Yeah, yeah, that's Sorry. bad. <laughs> I dare you. We're gonna move on to Christian Kirk and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence said, from a football IQ sense, I think Christian Kirk is really quarterback friendly. Johnny, it's happening. They've already paid him a bunch of money. The hype is building around Christian Kirk. Get on the hype train now while you can, Johnny. He's <laughs> just like uh, off space, like, hey, Peter, what's happening? That's how that's how I feel like this uh, has come through here. I, I'm not – I get a lot of people are super jacked about Christian Kirk going to, uh, you know, going people. there. But I, I'm not – I'm not like – I. Maybe it is a little bit that I watched him, and I, I do think he's a solid receiver. Don't get me get me wrong. But – Am I do I think that he is going to be a guy where you're going to consistently want to put him in your lineup week in and week out? And I don't think you are. And so I, I think that the hype is just getting a little bit too much because he did get this massive contract and and all of these things. But again, it's Jacksonville. And I, I you know, I don't know how many times you're going to really want to throw Christian Kirk in your lineup based on a matchup or, or feeling good about, you know, anything that the Jaguars are doing this year. I just got to throw in, end. I got to throw in this one point on the Christian Kirk side. Cause it's one of my end of season in my fantasy diary notes that I threw in how many years ago. And it was from Michael Crabtree with the Baltimore Ravens, just cause you got a guy in the wide receiver. One spot doesn't mean you got yourself a wide receiver one. It's not like the running back position where the opportunity is still going to net you points. 
even if you're that number one dog at the wide receiver spot, it does not mean you're going to finish with a ton of fantasy points. So just keep I don't that even, one. He's, he's probably going to be playing the slot. And so it's like, you don't want, if anything, you, you would want the outside guy for Doug, uh, for Doug and because that's like the Alshon role, you know, to go up and get it. But like, that's not who Christian Kirk is. So mm-hmm. it's like, he's a slot guy. So, and yeah, it's just, I I'm I'll stay away. I think he could end up being like Cleveland era, early Cleveland era, Jarvis Landry or something. Hmm. Um, you, you think so? Sure. I think he could, but I mean, he wasn't particularly fun to start, but he like, no. he racked up, you know, yeah, like, 22 or something like that. Yeah. I think it was like 13.4 points per game in his first year in Cleveland. Um, okay. I think he could get there, but, but I'm not excited about him either. It's just more like, it's like, he feels like the type of guy that we're going to, there's gonna be a bunch of pieces next off season. That was like Christian Kirk was wide receiver 26 last year. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but I never started him. Yeah. Right, exactly. I feel like he's going to be constantly in our Sunday morning lineup shows like this guy or Kirk, this guy or Kirk. And I'm going to be right. constantly like that guy. I feel like yeah. It doesn't matter. Like fill in the blank here. Uh, Pat, I want to pitch this one to you. Okay. So over the last two seasons, we've seen these wild headlines that have turned into just bullshit in the season. So, couple years ago it was Jeff Justin Jefferson couldn't win against press coverage like he couldn't win against man coverage he was gonna you know he was gonna suck in the NFL uh, after training camp then it was Jamar Chase couldn't catch the football because it didn't have white lines on it and now we've got Traylon Burks not able to finish practice and he's got asthma and all these things so if it follows that line of thinking he's going to be a massive uh massive smash this year right yeah I hope so I, I like Traylon Burks a lot um but I mean, this this would be a concern if it continues through training camp. Like if he's, right. you know, if it's like a conditioning issue or whatever, like he's just having a hard time finishing practices. Like Vrabel does seem like the kind of guy who would not be into that. It's like right. you, you got to be out here working hard. Like it would cost him playing time. So I don't think it's like just like definitely a non-issue. But you know, all this stuff that you know he needed to hit an inhaler or whatever was happening in May. Um, does feel like stuff that we'll kind of look back on and be like, oh, that was fun. This was silly. Yeah, yeah. Vra- dude, there was a clip uh, where Vrabel was like, I guess like a lineman got injured or something during practice. And like, he just yells to the whole team, like, why are you standing around? Let's move it down yeah. 10 yards and let's get this baby off the field. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> so like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Just rub yeah. some dirt on it. Get yeah, out of yeah, it. Yeah. It'll be good exactly. by the time you get married. Uh, <laughs> moving on here we'll talk about David Njoku this this happened a little bit last week but he got a four-year 56.8 million dollar extension Austin you've been in on David Njoku we've seen these late you know these tight ends take a little while to break out he's an athletic freak they moved on from Austin Hooper we've got presumably Deshaun Watson in there this year is David Njoku becoming one of your favorite late round guys here dude I've had a soft spot for David Njoku going back I think three years Time is hard these days with all that we've had to go through the last couple. But I I think it was three or four years ago, and I screenshotted a David Njoku update where it said, David Njoku, who has moved into the tight end one conversation, and I remember circling that in rainbow, uh, the rainbow colored one, and sending it to our League of Record group chat and being like, 
David Njoku is a tight end one. Suck it, y'all, because I had just picked him up off the waiver. And then that <laughs> next game, I can remember the fall where he fell upside down and he landed on his arm and he broke his hand. And I was like, well, there goes my tight end one that I just got for free. That sucks. <laughs> and then Austin Hooper came over and had that fatty contract. People forget, though, David Njoku was a top prospect. Uh, drafted in the first round, correct me if I'm wrong there, and he was looking really good until these unfortunate series of events has kind of diverted the way that we evaluate David Njoku because of the injury and then the additions at the tight end position. So this, though, he's still in his mid-20s. They just gave him a fatty deal, all, and they got rid of all their other pass catchers. Jarvis is gone. Amari Cooper is gone. I think David Njoku comes into the best situation he has in the last couple of years, and he's got the talent to actually make something of it. So, yeah, I'm stoked on David Njoku. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I think he fits some of the bill like we're looking for. We want an athletic tight end. We want a decent offense. We want a good quarterback. So if Watson's on the field this year for him, I think that's a really good match for him low to be a guy to throw a dart, dart on. And low-key, he targets the tight end a little bit more than you think he does. Like, Fells was actually... How do you know what I think he does? Because <laughs> I... I know you. <laughs> I know you're you. in my head, dude. Uh, uh, so, Scott, you're in the chat here asking about ETN. We, we have a segment on ETN here in a little bit, so we will definitely get to your question there. So hold that for just a second here. We're going to wrap through the rest of the news here. We've got some Packer news with Robert Tunyon, his knee. Uh, with his knee, he was limited OTAs. And then we have Packers wide receiver Christian Kirk getting some uh, spotlight from his own offensive coordinator, Stenovich, who said, Christian Watson will be a problem for opposing secondaries. Pat, you're a little bit lower on Christian Watson as well, I believe, from some of the pods I've heard you on, or maybe you can back up if you're not. Are, are you buying some of this? Because we've also I also saw a little bit about his drops this uh, in some practices too. So where are you at with Watson? Um, do you think it could happen this year or probably not? Yeah, I don't know if I'm low on him actually because I've taken him in like industry leagues where I got the sense like the – that I was taking him ahead of where he would have gone. Oh, okay. And then why do you um, love him? Yeah. yeah. I wonder, but, but also like, he like scares me to hell. <laughs> like, I just, like, like he really does. Uh, Cause I mean, you're, you're really with Watson, just betting on an athletic profile. Uh, and he was in, he like crazy efficient last year, but he was playing at an FCS school and it's an FCS powerhouse. And like, yeah, I hope so. I hope you were crazy efficient right. if you're supposed to be like a borderline first round NFL talent. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm skeptical of like the mega upside cases for him, but like he's in such a good situation where all he has to be is Marcus Valdez Scantling. That's all he has to be because if he can, and Valdez Scantling is quite good downfield. So that isn't like a super low bar, but you know, he's not going to have to like, be a true number one in the offense. He just has to be a field stretcher because then they'll add screens and stuff to that. They'll, they'll scheme stuff for him as well. Mm -hmm. And I think we're probably going to be pretty excited about Watson coming out of the year. Cause like if he has 10 fantasy points a game, he's going to do it in a pretty exciting way. And people are going to be like, you know, Christian Watson or, or like the one Oh two in rookie drafts. Like, I think that, he doesn't even have to be that good to, to get to that. So he's a kind of a classic type of guy where he scares me, but I'm making sure to have exposure. Right. You don't want to like hard fade a guy like this. I don't think he's a classic type of guy. Just took him in our dynasty league of record. And he has just <laughs> been like gushing. I mean, we're Packers fans too. So he is obviously like super yeah, into him, but Packers also ball. like Watson's just a fun one 
to really like because of the athletic profile, obviously, yeah. but also the opportunity sets up nicely. Somebody, it might've been somebody on this panel had said that they, that he remind like he could have the chase Claypool esque rookie hmm. season, which I think would be maybe, maybe not that many touchdowns, but who knows with Rogers. I mean, you got a touchdown upside for days, but I could see that happen there. Like something like that. I think that's totally realistic because like Claypool took a while to get on the field and then like never Tomlin was like, he's hitting the rookie wall. And it was like, yeah, that's, the, that's only because you're not playing. in this <laughs> yeah. You put the wall there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't even like this. Those are great... the biggest walls to overcome. Yeah. So I don't think that's like overly optimistic that he could have that, that kind of season. And like, we were very excited about Claypool. I still like think Claypool's very good, even despite like a somewhat disappointing follow-up to that season because he looks so good as a rookie. Oh, I thought you were gonna say you thought he was good because you watched his TikTok videos, and I was gonna be like, okay, perfect. <laughs> TikTok scouting, yeah, yeah TikTok <laughs> scouting, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's what you got to do these days. Thanks. All right, well, that wraps up the news and notes. Obviously, there was a ton of it there, but we had to get through some of the stuff that uh, you know. It's fun to get these mini takes here as we head into the off season. But we want to talk a little bit about some of Pat's work here. Obviously, he does a lot for Dynasty rankings, and he's got an article that kind of goes through each of his rankings. That. Uh, articles link is in the description below here it's his uh positional and top 50 there but we wanted to pull out a couple pieces of here and, and i just loved what you said here about kenny pickett uh a slight dig at him uh dig at him here you said well i hope you like low ceiling quarterbacks as much as the steelers after he went 20th in the nfl draft it's impossible though not to rank kenny pickett as the superflex qb1 and believe me i've tried um so I, I just wanted to bring that one up there i think it's a little bit funny but i mean an underwhelming class all the way around here right pat yeah i mean just a brutal blow to the the quarterback class we didn't the the wide receiver class we didn't really get other than justin ross who didn't get drafted at all basically like everyone i was like kind of excited about did get drafted and we even had some extra guys like wandell robinson that we thought might be day three go day two so yeah. that was awesome but then we have these quarterbacks malik willis in particular, um, you know, sliding to the third round is a real bummer because for fantasy, he has this really exciting upside profile. Even as a second round pick, you know, you'd be mm. like, look, he's going to be Jalen Hurts. You know, he's, he's going to be out there sooner than later. But third round, it's it's like such a gigantic gap in the franchise commitment. And uh, Kenny Pickett, I think if he's absolutely terrible, they could move on. We have seen teams do from that, do that to, uh, you know, mid to late first round picks. But as long as he's like Cardinals with Josh mediocre, Rosen. yeah, Cardinals with Josh Rosen, great example. Um, if he's mediocre to like poor, he'll get another shot. And in these super flex leagues, like just having knowing that a guy's like almost certain to be a starter next year is so huge. Pat, I just wanted to follow up on that subject and hear from you directly. What qualities do you look for the most for an incoming quarterback, mainly from the fantasy perspective for a rookie who's coming in? Well, I mean, rushing is obviously, you know, the biggest thing. Um, but then I think the ability to uh, – well, first of all, scrambling is nice. Uh, Kevin Cole's done some really good research on that, and just like it actually makes a difference in real life that these guys scramble. But obviously that's also great for fantasy. And, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, some of the, the – the work that he did was showing like, you know, it's not enough to just like be athletic, like scrambling shows you that these guys are actually looking to make plays with their legs, which was like a key thing with Mahomes, for example. Um, and Pickett's actually a scrambler. Pickett, Corral, uh, these guys howl 
basically the whole class scrambles. Um, so that's nice. Uh, but then I think deep throws are also nice to see. And, you know, like how often you're attempting deep throws, how often you make really great deep throws. I, I was looking at uh, PFF's big time throws on 20 plus yard passes, um, which is something Malik that you Willis. see like Malik Willis is like, he like breaks the metric. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like, you know, one of the things that we saw with Josh Allen. It's another thing, you know, uh, Mahomes was great. Uh, at big time throws deep, particularly when under pressure, Mahomes would look to throw deep and was really good at throwing deep under pressure. Um, so yeah, I, I think for fantasy, like if you just had a guy who can run around and hit throws deep, like you, you don't really even need anything else. I mean, Jalen hurts would kind of be that guy, right? Like Jalen hurts has plenty of warts as a, an NFL quarterback, but like he is a great rusher and he is looking to rush and he hits big plays downfield and potentially with AJ Brown, that that part of his game will, will really jump up a, another level. So um, that's probably the biggest things like I, that I think probably go like underemphasized. Mm. like as fantasy players. We should probably emphasize big plays and rushing a lot more than like traditional scouting. Love that. Well, I want to, yeah. and then I want to follow up that like, so in super flex leagues where you're doing that, do you think, and I probably know the answer to this because I'm like, you kind of laid it out there. But like Jalen Hurts is a guy that's kind of on the bubble. Like we don't know if he's going to have the job, right? Like they keep saying like he's kind of had this leash. So do you think like it? Are you trying to get? Are you trying to at least pair your rushing quarterbacks with somebody that you know has really good job security, or do you kind of just cycle through them every year and you don't mind scouting every year to kind of do that in dynasty? No, I think the job security is is massive, and that's something like Jalen Hurts. Actually, I really struggled with entering last season. Um, I. I had someone like ask me like, should I send a first for, for Jalen hurts? And I was like, I guess you should, but like, it, I, I understand why that like feels bad um, or risky because it is risky, mm. but you do have, you know, I think with a guy like hurts, it's like the payoff is so big uh, because it's not just that you have this quarterback starting and filling up that starting spot, which is kind of half the battle in Superflex, but he's actually giving you a point per game advantage over the guys that other people are starting and so it's kind of like, I think, worth taking the risk a little bit more with a guy like Hertz. Hertz this year is someone that I would still be taking the risk with because, like, they're, they just traded for A.J. Brown. Like, they're, they're investing in this passing game. They could have taken a quarterback in the second or third round and did not. I mean, that's what they did to Carson Wentz. So... You know, for them not to do that, I, I think we're starting to see a little bit more of a commitment to Jalen Hurts, mm. where last year really did feel like they were like, let's see how it goes. Well, yeah, this not year, only they just, seem kind of in. Yeah, not only just AJ Brown, and I know you we could pay whatever attention to like the Disneyland narrative, but AJ Brown seems to be a really good friend of of Jalen Hurts, yeah. and I think that's something like to keep in mind if they are doing this trade. Then like maybe you're right, maybe the leash is getting longer here. I believe he told, like he said, like you should trade for AJ Brown. Oh yeah. Well, I, I, what I find interesting, like, I don't, I don't know what the hell the Eagles are doing because to me, it's very obvious that they have a quarterback and hurts. Like he's the guy that they should move forward with. But like a lot of people, it seemed like last year they had to kind of, you know, be talked into it or, or kind of watch what he did and, and the development in order to be sold on him. And then 
But even with that, they're still not 100% sold. So I, it is almost like that in the back of their minds. They're like, oh, well, next year we have a massive quarterback class. Like this year's was weak. Next year's supposed to be stacked. There's supposed to be a lot of uh, uh, talent, especially at the quarterback position. They, the Eagles have a lot of picks next year as well. So they're probably thinking to themselves like, all right, we're going to push it all in. We're going to give him everything he wants because he really says and thinks that he's a good quarterback. I believe he's a good quarterback. And then if he doesn't, then they're like, well, now we have all the pieces that we possibly need uh, as far as picks go in order to get one of these top five quarterbacks uh, that are going in the first next year. So I, I do think it is kind of kind well, of a disservice to the player because you're 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 indicating I'm all in, but it seems like a bluff, right? Like you're sitting here being like, I don't think what what you're trying to tell me is actually true that you actually believe in hurts because you're indicating your all of your arguments and actions up until trading for uh, AJ Brown has been like, oh, wishy washy on hurts, and it's. Well, Pat, you on you uh, you actually had a, a point the other a few podcasts ago about the Bears and the Jets and how they're doing it in opposite ways. Kind of the Eagles are doing it now, yeah. and how you can drop in a quarterback essentially if you do it the way the Jets have done it. So if Zach Wilson sucks, then the next year you you move on, you drop in like another quarterback. I think the Eagles could be in a, in a way to set up, but I do think yeah. that's like the smarter way to do it than otherwise like try to try to rise above your circumstances. Yeah, hundred percent. And like you see, like with Tyree Kill. Um, you know, he was like, I was never going to the Jets. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> but you don't want to be that franchise that a player is like, no. Yeah. And especially if it's a quarterback, they're going to, that's how they're going to. It's funny that he they, went to the Dolphins and he's like, I would never go to the Jets. <laughs> like, let's say about the Jets. Man. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, all of these perceptions are, they change pretty quickly. Like, it wasn't that long ago that that would have been the attitude about the Bills, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you, you can kind of shift these things. So if all of a sudden the Jets have these two really dynamic pass catchers in Moore and Garrett Wilson and Wilson and Zach Wilson just absolutely stinks. Yeah. Like you can attract a court. Meanwhile, the bears, like the bears that it's just, if Justin Fields has a bad season, the bears are not going to be able to attract like Baker Mayfield or whatever, you know, <laughs> or the Baker Mayfield this year's, you know, next year's yeah. Baker Mayfield equivalent. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good point. So we talked a little bit about Sky Moore at the top a little bit, but I wanted, I wanted to ask you because after Sky Moore landed at the Chiefs, initially I'm sure you're jacked, and then maybe in Dynasty long term you're like really excited. But with that room being as crowded, I mean, how how much did that change your outlook of Sky Moore this year with with all the additions that they did in in the wide receiver room, Pat? I mean, from a Dynasty perspective, it doesn't really. I mean, it's good. Like in Dynasty, yeah. it's it's only good. I, I think, you know, the CD Lamb landing spot, right? Mm -hmm. Like, remember when he went to Dallas and rightly, by the way, the community was like stoked because um, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't care. You know, in a right. couple years, they'll probably yeah. trade Amari Cooper, which is exactly what happened. And, uh, you know, he'll eventually be better than Michael Gallup. And, you know, he is. So, like, I think the big thing we just want to pay attention to here is like, he is going to play with Patrick Mahomes for the next four seasons at a minimum. And is, is the target competition like so bad that, you know, he, it's going to prevent a really good player from breaking out. Like the question with all these rookies is just how, how good are they? That's all it comes down to really. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, you're, you're okay. You're not amazing. 
And yeah, if he's not amazing, then it might be a bit of a problem, might be kind of a thorn in his side that he's got to deal with Juju Smith-Schuster stealing targets and, you know, MVS winning downfield so much better than he can. Um, but if he's really good, then he's not going to have any trouble taking over mid-season as kind of the the guy in like the intermediate area over the prove-it deal Juju. And uh, I don't think that MVS's game and his are similar at all. Uh, Sky Moore's like biggest weakness is that he doesn't win deep and he's much more of a guy you'd hit on kind of like a crossing route over the middle. And then he, he gets you a bunch of yak rather than like a downfield guy. So to me, like playing with MVS for the next couple seasons is a plus you want to, mm. you want a chief's offense that can stretch the field. MVS most likely is going to be what he was with the Packers and be a very effective field stretcher, which is always good for an NFL offense. Like I don't want an NFL offense that has like nothing going on mm. and, and a wide receiver. I like, I, I want a dynamic offense and then a wide receiver. I like in it. So I'm not like overly concerned, but certainly like if he is a mediocre player at the next level, he'll get exposed as that mediocre player more quickly. Well, I like that you pointed out the intermediate success too, because now if we see Travis Kelsey decline in the next couple of years, not saying that'll happen, but I mean, he's getting up there in age, then you see a path for Sky Moore to actually get more of that volume off of Kelsey in, in the coming years there. So that makes a lot of sense to me. All right, so we pulled a chart. I, I didn't get who did this for you, but basically it took your top 50, I think, and then uh, compared it to ADP, and we wanted to point out some of the guys that are different here, as you can see on the screen here if you're watching here. But um, it was funny because I, when we started the show sheet for this, Pat, I had listed just from listening to you on the podcast, I'd listed players I know you're high on and knew you're a low on, and then I saw the chart, and I was like, yep, okay, it checks out. <laughs> um, so it, it, kind of, it kind of lined up perfectly here. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to give it to the panel here. Uh, we'll start with Austin on some of the things they noticed with your rankings versus ADP here. Yeah, the one that stood out to me was a couple, but the first one was Tyler Algier above Damian Pierce by four spots with an inverted ADP. I was looking at these guys, and they look like to be in similar situations opportunity-wise, but I would love your take on putting Tyler ahead of Damian. I, it, it comes down to the profile for me with, with uh, Tyler Algier where he's – a bigger back, uh, 224, ran a 4.6, so not super fast, but uh, had really good breakaway numbers in yeah. college. And he's like a guy who gets up to speed fairly quickly, and then he's tough to bring down. And that's like exactly the type of back that should succeed in this offense. I mean, the Falcons are like slowly becoming a joke as like this, you know, junkyard version of the Titans. They've got Marcus Mariota. They've got, uh, uh, they've got, um, who the, what's the tight end they just brought in that was from the Titans and, uh, Ferkser. Oh, Ferkser. Ferkser. they have Ferkser. Yeah. yeah. And then they live oh, on Austin Hooper, Austin Hooper. They, they traded well, for Austin Hooper. Well, Hooper went to yeah. Hooper went to the Titans actually. Yeah. Yeah. They just brought in a receiver too. That was on the Titans. Uh, some depth receiver. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, it was, it was, it was uh, Jeremy McNichols. So, like, they literally are taking all these cast-off parts of the Titans trying to assemble this, like, oh, yeah. much worse version. And in that much worse version, I think he can kind of be much worse Derrick Henry. So, you know, you kind of have, like – and there's a ton of opportunity. Uh, Mike Davis had 197 opportunities, carries plus targets last year. He did nothing with them, just absolutely brutal yards per target, yards per carry. Uh, so Algier, I think, has like a pretty low bar for what he needs to do efficiency-wise, mm -hmm. which will probably be not great because their offensive line stinks. But 
like he can be like just kind of regular poor as opposed to like league worst in terms of efficiency and and have some pretty nice production and then from a dynasty perspective like we're going to be looking around next year and be like who who are these young running backs that can take another step forward and kind of take over a backfield playing with a Cordell Patterson who's going to be I believe entering his age 32 season in 2023 I mean going to be pretty easy to make that upside case if he has like a solid rookie year and and it's like clearly their lead back heading into next season Pierce is really tough for me because he was a committee back mm-hmm. um he was good on a per touch basis really good touchdown score but I'm worried they're gonna continue to run a, a committee there mm-hmm. and uh that's that's kind of why I'm just like having trouble getting quite as excited about Pierce uh like getting a shot is like the clear lead back in that backfield but um, I don't have the stats in front of me but Lovey Smith feels like a guy who can give it to one back though like, I, I feel like if Damian Pierce wins Cedric it out, like ben. Matson, well, Cedric Matt Forte, ben. right? Like, yeah, I mean, Matt, Matt Forte. Forte was part of it. I mean, That's obviously, true. maybe not the same um, player, but I think if Damian Pierce wins out, plus the draft capital edges in Pierce's favor too, right? Yeah, it's a fourth to a fifth, I yeah, think. Yeah, so yeah. that would be my kind of counterpoint to that. Um Pierce just yeah, that's fair. feels – I know he's, like, low volume, but he just feels funner. Like, he feels like – He's supposed to be strong. Yeah, like, he just – he gets me a little more jacked, I think, than Tyler Algier did. I love that Algier yeah. was a linebacker, though, also. Just want to he was. He was yeah. a converted linebacker, yeah. It's kind of a fun What's story. What's the numbers on that? He, he has, he a, I believe he had a sack. Uh, very good. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Very Ooh, good uh, hurry to conversion rate. <laughs> I meant like, how do we, have we seen this before? Have have any famous uh, Javante famous... Williams played linebacker? Okay, oh, there you go. He's in high school. He can see, he can see the holes and he hits them hard. Uh, it makes sense. I mean, most players back. in high school play both. That was the joke. That was yeah. what I was getting at there. But... Yeah, but yeah, I mean, like taking Damian Pierce over Algier, I think is totally fine. It's more about like and the draft capital stuff. Like to me, it's like your day three. Your, your day mm-hmm. three. Like, it's not, I don't think four or five, that stuff really matters. I mean, four, seven probably matters, but like four or five. It, so it's to me, like you're in this range, the way this, this year's draft class goes is like, this is pretty flat. You know, if you, if you like Pierce more like, uh, yeah, take Pierce. So I wanted a, another philosophy question. Cause you talked about draft capital just now. I was thinking about this and like, just the way the, the, the league has changed and the way they value running back. Do we think that draft capital is going to change in the next couple of years? Like uh, the value of draft capital with running backs, Pat? Yeah, I, I wonder if it already has. I mean, like, right. you know, like, I, I guess last year, right, we had Najee Harris, um, Najee Harris and uh, Travis Etienne <laughs> go first round. Uh, Brees Hall feels like maybe 10 years ago he would have been a first round pick or something. And it's, it's weird to me. I don't really see like why. Yeah, like Hall's like a very good prospect. So if like Najee Harris is going first round, why is Brees Hall not going first round? But um, I, you know, he also doesn't feel that different than Dalvin Cook, who was a second round pick. So uh, or Joe Mixon, who's a second round pick, although maybe some off field stuff knocked him out of the first era. But um, yeah, I, I feel like the like it's been a few years where we've seen kind of this transition, and we're probably done with like you know, the Todd Gurley in, in the top 10 and the Zeke Elliott in the top 10 stuff. Saquon. Yeah. Saquon. Saquon. Yeah. yeah maybe, maybe it's, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being too optimistic. Yeah, about the <laughs> I think we just summed it up by just re- saying those names and then we figure it out. 
Pat, I had heard you say that you drafted Malik in a pre-NFL draft at 101 uh, that you did. Uh, no, I I saw draft. him go. Oh, yeah, I, th- I, I thought I thought you did, did not. Well, then I, I it, with the, I know that you've been high on Malik, and and I wanted to ask after his you know landing spot how much that has changed your outlook on him because obviously you know he he's not a lock to start probably not this year and then we'll see what happens with Tannehill and his contract yeah I mean he has to come way down I'm still uh like above market on him and I've been I actually took him in a league in a 14 team league I took him at the uh with the 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 first round second pick or the first pick of the second round um and then immediately was able to trade him as a piece to to get jonathan taylor back so i'm, I'm not above oh. uh you know oh. moving him yeah i did a big <laughs> yeah, i gotta get jt back yeah. traded Brees, yeah. and traded, uh willis and some picks and got uh and got jt coming back so there you uh go. yeah i i think you know that that shows maybe that i'm not the only one who's into malik willis after he fell to the third round but i i still like him as kind of that like after that tier break, I have him at the 111 in these rankings. Um, and to me, there's like kind of a tier break, in, you know, probably after Olave, frankly. But you could say Pickens is is maybe like in his own little mini tier with with Pickett or something. But after that, I'm like, okay, so I'm, I've got to bet on this really boom bust wide receiver or a boom bust quarterback who won't get playing time as quickly. But like. I mean, we know which one is going to carry more value if he actually hits. I mean, a lot more value. So, um, you know, I, I was on the clock uh, at the 110 in a super flex where, like, we're totally set at quarterback, would have taken Watson over Willis. You know, so I think that's that's fine to do. But um, we, we ended up trading off it. But, yeah, I think, you know, Willis, it's tough to, like, paint out the exact scenario where – you know, it, it works out amazing. I, I guess it's probably the Titans miss the playoffs and they see what they have in Willis. But, you know, maybe that's next year instead of this year and you're holding him for a while. But I do think when he gets on the field because of the type of profile he has where he is such a willing rusher, obviously the type of guy that they're going to install some running plays for. Also at, in Tennessee, like he will be a guy who rolls out of the pocket. He will be a guy that's asked to throw deep, asked to throw a lot of play action passes like it's going to suit his skill set pretty well when he gets a chance. And I think with a third round pick, he does eventually get that chance. So you're probably banking some value. It's probably like trading something for like a 2024 first or something, um, which, you know, you might not want to do. You might be kind of pushing more in for now, but, but yeah, I, I do think at some point we're going to see him on the field and people are going to get excited. I do too. And piggybacking off of the quarterback situation in your rankings here, Matt Corral over Desmond Ritter. What should we be expecting out of Matt Corral? I think we're going to be seeing him as the Carolina starter sooner than later. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Darnold's Darnold's terrible. <laughs> so how does this, how does it not happen? Like Matt rule is, I mean, probably the first coach fired. So mm. I mean, he's got to know Could've that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay. They're Owen three Corral's not starting the next game. Like, I, I just think he's, I think he's getting on the field real quick. And I, I think Ritter might have, one, I think Mariota is just going to be better. Mariota is not like hot garbage the way Darnold is. So that it's tougher for him to get on the field. And I just like Corral more as a prospect, frankly. 
That's a good interesting point on Mariota. It's like he he'll be lukewarm and he won't like excite you, but he's not gonna probably ruin everything for you either. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Johnny, you, you noticed some stuff with Jelani Woods here as well out of the rankings. Yeah, I just saw, I noticed that your biggest difference uh, is Jelani Woods uh, from ADP to uh, your particular rankings. Are Is there anything that you're hearing f- about Jelani or any particular reason why? Uh, why do you hate Jelani? Yeah, why, 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 you know, like just, yeah, why, why do you hate just, him so just, much uh, that, yeah. you, that you would put him down? Say it. <laughs> so I... Leone, Mike Leone was uh, messaging me about this. And I like, actually, I did kind of bump him up um, in my own rankings of like where, where I was drafting these guys. I was like, okay, like, you're right. I probably should take Jelani Woods over, you know, Ty Chandler or whatever. But guess what? I'd still take Jeremy Rucker first. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not, I just, the, my thing with Jelani Woods is he wasn't a pass catcher for basically his entire career. Then as a fifth year senior. Code. He's got the cheat code. The athleticism? Well, no, he was a quarterback. He was a quarterback for a long time, uh, and he got recruited as a quarterback to Oklahoma State. And then he didn't get on the field, transferred to Virginia, and Virginia was like, you're a big-ass dude who is just an athlete. We're going to put you at tight end. And so then he went to tight end and picked up the position. That's how – but, yeah, so that's why it's like – I think it's always interesting when you you bring in these tight ends that have these, like – potential dual eligibility on like these wild you never know you know if they, Johnny's putting his sean payton hat on and wish i'm just saying like, this is my Taysom hill project right here i'm just saying he's like six seven two sixty two seventy that dude is massive and he runs like a four four something eh. uh eh. That's yeah, like, no, I think he has the highest relative athletic score among yeah, ever, yeah. yes yeah yeah, ever. yeah. um and that's yeah no i mean that's indicator exciting. I, I prefer guys who are That's exciting, but really at, at the tight end position. I, I like them to catch passes. <laughs> there, there's like two different positions that you're playing. You're like an NFL t- he could be an awesome NFL tight end. I mean, Mo Ali Cox is kind of an example of this. It's like Mo right. Ali Cox is a giant human who like certainly could catch passes, but mostly blocks. And he's like good enough at that. And that's kind of his role. Like, I guess like I never, he had a 14% yardage share in this Virginia season, which was like his only season as a pass catcher. Like Daniel Bellinger had a 15% career yardage share. Like he was catching passes over, you know, his whole career. Like, that's just more interesting. By the way, Bellinger, great athlete, shows up with, with the Giants. He was starting key. Ricky Seals-Jones this year. Ricky Seals-Jones is not good. We know that. Like, Bellinger could be the starting tight end for the Giants for the last, like, six games of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're getting excited about him after the year. Like, I don't know. Johnny Woods, uh, I understand, very athletic. But the, the Colts have run a tight end by committee for years now with this coaching staff. They, they also have Kyle Granson, who is like a pass-catching, kind of move tight end guy. They drafted in the fourth round last year. Didn't embarrass himself as a rookie. Didn't really flash much, but I would expect that he is involved over the next couple years. Um, and, you know, again, I just think like Woods is – I care a lot more about the, the pass-catching profile than the athleticism. The athleticism to a point. Like if a guy is a terrible athlete, Jalen Weidemeyer or whatever, like – that's a bummer, man. Like, yeah, you're yeah. not going to be a, You're not going to be a fantasy star, but you know, <laughs> the guys who are sufficiently athletic and showed more as a pass catcher, uh, I'm just going to be a lot more interested in it. Before we move fully off of dynasty here, talk a little bit of redraft before we head out. Um, I wanted to ask if you had any best practices, maybe one best practice or personal tip that you'd like to share with uh, a little nugget. Yeah. Just the dynasty, the dynasty heads out there that are going to try and get into it this year. 
I mean, I guess the, the big thing for me, like philosophically is like, just when you're looking at the players on your roster, just ask yourself, what if you're wrong? Cause I think the, mm. the buy, I mean, you could, you have a, a very strong bias that like you have these guys, you pick them for a reason. Like these are your favorite players for the most part. And you're, you're higher than market on these guys, like almost by default. Uh, that's how they ended up on your team. So you're probably going to have rose colored glasses on for a number of these players, but the key to winning in dynasty is to have a roster chock full of players who after the season, everyone wants, they mm. want to, they want to be trade. You're getting trade offers. You're getting peppered with trade offers all the time, you know? So that's like that's the easiest way to make sure that you're in that position is to go like, okay, I really, I, I think that the market's completely wrong on this guy. I think he's going to crush this year. But what if it does? What if he doesn't? Then does the bottom fall out? Because like, let's say, you, let's say that guy's Javante Williams. You're like, I, I don't, I'm not worried about Melvin Gordon at all. I think he's going to crush. Javante Williams doesn't crush this year. You're still totally fine, right? right? Like, there's, there's lots of guys right. who are insulated. So you can figure out guys who you like, and are insulated. Those are like the perfect guys to make bets on. I love this. I love this way. That's like a the thought topic. experiment of just like going yeah. through the counter narrative. You know what? You know what if I am wrong, which uh, I most assuredly we all will be. <laughs> yeah. on a lot of takes this year. All right, let's move on to some redraft talk here, Pat. On a recent show, you were talking about Travis Etienne. I wanted to play this clip for Whisper Nation here to talk a little bit about Etienne afterwards. So we'll get this going here, and then. Power of touch. Uh, my first player is Travis Etienne. He's uh, one of these running backs who goes in a range in these drafts that you can kind of do anything with. Like, if you want to basically go zero running back, you got a late uh, pick. You can get him in the late fifth round. So you know, maybe not technically a zero running back draft, drafting a running back in the late fifth, but kind of like Miles Sanders a few years ago when he was a rookie, you get him in that range. Uh, you can often find like a, a breakout running back type in that late fifth range. Uh, who, you know, kind of serves as like a very weak anchor running back or kind of the, the premium zero running back type of build. But if you want to go with like the superhero build, I think ETN can be a part of that. You take an early running back, you get ETN as one of two running backs. You can wait a long time for your third running back. Or if you wanted to take three in the first five, just tackle on one more, kind of do a classic hyper fragile. He really fits those builds. So for me, like just kind of where ETN's going in that late fifth range and after Brees Hall, he add, he just kind of fits with a lot of draft builds, which is one reason that I like taking him a lot. But the other thing is that, like, it feels like you get kind of the post-hype sleeper with Travis Etienne. I thought he was a better prospect than Najee Harris. I thought he was a better prospect than Javante Williams. I think he was a better prospect than Brees Hall. And you're getting him after Hall in drafts. You're getting him way after Williams in drafts. You're getting him way after Najee Harris in drafts. Now, I get why. I mean, we've got the injury concern. Uh we, you know, potentially have James Robinson lurking, but that James Robinson injury is like, I'm okay fading a quick comeback uh, with the Achilles stuff. So, so we, we, I love this clip, first of all, but we had a couple questions from it. So the first is about uh, Travis Etienne. The second is about team builds. We'll start with the latter. You mentioned hero or superhero RB, zero RB, hyper fragile. We've seen all these like phrases ta talked about. I just wanted to uh, also in your Twitter bio, you said you've never drafted an RB. Um, can you give us your top level take on kind of team build philosophies and like, you know, all these different, you know, team builds that you mentioned here? 
Yeah, I would recommend uh, Pete Overzet did a really good video on kind of all these strategies and uh, breaking them down like in really good detail um, on YouTube. But there, I think they really all come down to like limiting the amount of like dollars that you're putting in. Like if you think of like an auction draft, like you you just want to limit how many of your dollars that you're spending on the running back position. And there's like a million ways that you can do that. Like if you don't take a bunch of running backs early or any running backs early, let's say in the first five rounds, then you probably want to take like, you know, three, four guys in kind of like the, the seven to 12 range, let's say, and then, you know, tackle on a couple lotto ticket type of guys. That would be like a zero running back build. Um, Hyper fragile is like, it seems like the opposite of that, but it's actually very similar where in hyperfragile you're taking like three in the first five running backs, but then you're, you're only taking four. And if like, you want to get real weird with it, you could just take those three in a, in a, uh, a type of, you know, <laughs> in like the drafters best ball tournament where it's total points through for the whole season, like that, that type of build has had some appeal to me where like you just take those three and then you're making the bet like these are the three guys that you needed to have this year. And because I already have those guys, then I'm just going to go find points elsewhere. And, you know, at the running back position tends to have a lot of busts. It tends to have uh, some guys that really crush. And so I think for that reason, the strategies that limit the amount of the like total draft capital that you're putting into the running back position, which means limiting how many early picks you're spending on them. Uh, end up being consistently profitable strategies. Here, running back is is probably like the easiest one and the uh, and one of the most consistently profitable. Great best ball strategy, great redraft strategy. You just take one in the first two rounds. You kind of build your team around the bet that this guy is going to go off. This guy is going to have like the legendary season, the season that makes kind of everyone remember. Like, oh yeah, that was the that was the Jonathan Taylor season, like last year was or, or whatever. So uh, superheroes is just, you take two, you know, you take two, usually you start running back, running back, or you maybe take a wide receiver sandwiched in round two and you take one in in round three. And that strategy did did awesome last year because the second round running backs stayed healthier than they typically do. And they scored a bunch of points. There's just a really high hit rate wide receivers in that range. Not so great wide receivers just after that. Awesome. So if you were kind of done at running back at that point and you're just, you know, you're hitting cup, you're hitting Debo, you're hitting chase, so, you know, the strategies are going to vary very much based, like the results are going to vary a lot based on how the ADP sets up with the particular breakouts of that season. But uh, kind of all these strategies are like different flavors, I think, of a similar philosophy, which is that, you know, you you want to figure out ways to get upside at the running back position without overspending in terms of your team uh, draft capital. I love that breakdown, Pat. Thanks for sharing this. And the second question, speaking of high upside running backs here, is about Travis Etienne. You like him a lot as a post-hype sleeper mentioned above and had him pegged as a better prospect than last year's Najee Harris and Javante Williams, as well as this year's top prospect, the running back position, Brees Hall. Etienne is coming in ADP-wise behind all of those guys. This is a bit spicy, and we love it. College prospect aside, how confident are you in Etienne fantasy-wise coming into his sophomore season? Well, I mean, the college prospects, the only thing we have. <laughs> so I mean, like, uh, like, I mean, like, no, college projects aside, uh, uh, yes, he's so great. But coming in this year off of the injury, 
um, with the new coach. This is the situation in team. Jacksonville yeah. with this team. Yeah. How, what do you feel yeah. about him there? So I think the, the situation isn't great, obviously. The team could suck, so that's never good. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think it's still – it's not terrible because mm. you have – one, I mean, he's playing with his former college quarterback, which I think is pretty nice, particularly because that quarterback just had to suffer through a year. Daryl Bevel is his OC and Urban Meyer just completely mailing in an NFL season. You know, one of the craziest things we've ever seen. So now the new coaches, like they're incentivized not just to have a good season, but to like have a very different offense in look and feel to the one yeah. that, that was just there last year, which I think will mean that they're trying to get some, you know, easy completions for uh trevor lawrence which one of the easiest ways you think to do that is hey you have this guy who like basically profiles as an alvin Kamara, deandre swift type mm -hmm. who you have a ton of you already have this great rapport with let's get him you know so some screens some you know i, I know like the, the tropes that he's going to play out of the slot and stuff but that's not even what i mean it's like it's more just about like they're going to have a lot of plays where you've got an outlet with travis Etienne, and he is explosive after the catch really nice yards per out run in college um and, and breaks a ton of tackles and then picks up yards after he's not the type of guy like his profile doesn't suggest that he'll ever be like a workhorse type but you know that deandre swift profile can be a fantasy superstar um uh, and so in, in a way like a slightly reduced workload james robinson splitting the backfield with etn doesn't really scare me and you know, to build on that point didn't trevor lawrence lead the nfl in checkdown throws last season as well so and they've already got the relationship I mean, he and didn't have like anyone else to really throw to last well, now, year. Well, now he's got Christian Kirk, so. Yeah, now he's got Christian oh, Kirk. Yeah. I don't know that he, I mean, like, their deep threats are Marvin Jones and Zay Jones. Like, mm -hmm. he's going to have plenty of opportunities to check down this year. Right. I don't, yeah. Those guys aren't going to be cooking corners. Well, and I think Doug Peterson's offense has always been one that funnels some passes to the running back as well. Like they've been now you wow. could talk about that. Peterson has been yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, been yeah, a cycle. Yeah. Like he hasn't given a lot of carries to a lot of guys, but I, you know, maybe the philosophy is we don't, we want grinders on first and second down. And we want our Travis ETNs, especially in PPR to, you know, be the red zone guys, be the pass catching guys, you know, that Alvin Kamara esque. Like, and we haven't said it yet, but Travis Etienne just came out the last couple of days saying he would love to be used like Debo Samuel was last year. Oh, wouldn't we all? Yeah, he's still got <laughs> fire in the brain. Yeah, it's like he's seeing how much she's about to get paid, and he's yeah. like, Yeah, I'd like to get that kind of usage. Paid, yeah, so. Yeah. All right. Well, well, when, Debo, when Debo himself is saying he doesn't want to be played this way, and then you get an ETN yeah. coming in, and like, I will. So, like, Cool. Yeah, yeah. Like that's exciting. But ETN's for you actually a running back. So. Well, hey, yeah. yeah. How about that? Order. Maybe running backs are incentivized to actually play more like Debo because they'll get a bigger contract, whereas yeah. Debo will probably get hurt if he continues to play like that. Uh -huh. Playing the business aspect against the GMs. We'll see how that plays out. I guess. Uh, before we send you off here, Pat, I wanted to talk a little bit about Best Ball. I know that uh, Ship Chasers, you guys are doing a ton there. We've got the links in the description below, so go check them out. Whisper Nation. Um, I was curious if you could share like your three most important rules when uh, best ball drafting. I, I mean, the, the first one, I guess, would be, you know, pay attention to structure, which doesn't just mean the running back stuff. I mean, I think you want to be thinking about, you know, your quarterback strategy um, and your, your tight end strategy and, and trying to uh, figure out, you know, making sure you're, you're doing things that make sense. One of the things that I probably screwed up last year is that like, I wanted to draft a lot of two quarterback teams, um, but I would kind of push it probably a little bit too much with like the types of quarterbacks that were 
like, you know, I was going like, maybe I'd go like, you know, Trevor Lawrence and I don't know, one of those other kind of quarterbacks in that that's 11, 12 range or something. And it's like, those teams would have just been better with three quarterbacks. And uh, I think just being the, the data tells us that like, if you're waiting past a certain range with quarterback, you really probably should go with three. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think even in these playoff tournaments, like where you've got, you know, you need to win these playoff weeks that are like individual leagues just that week, that third quarterback can help you advance. Mike Leone uh, made the finals of the FFPC one. He timed out and took Ben Roethlisberger and Roethlisberger actually like scored enough to get him through. On a, <laughs> and it was a team that like probably should have been built three quarterbacks. So it kind of worked out. Mm. Um, but that's like, I think, you know, making sure you got like all that stuff locked in, like this is a two tight end build. This is a three quarterback build. Mm. This is a five running back build, but, but maybe I could do a sixth here. It's kind of a luxury type of sixth, or, or like, no, I need, I need the six and I might need to push to seven. Like, I think all that stuff is, is critical. Uh, and then, you know, I think uh, probably not reaching too much. I'm fine. I'm fine taking stands. I'm not like, I'm probably on the take the stand side of this than the diversify side of this. But I do, you know, like to use ADP to help push me a little bit. Cause, cause the one thing that really stinks is like when you accidentally take a stand, you're like, I'm way underweight, this guy. And it's, it's, I don't dislike him. So, like, what happens? So, I think, you know, letting the ADP guide you a little bit so that you end up like, you know, spreading it out among guys that you actually like. Uh, and then I think the big thing this year, if you're playing like really any of the the tournaments, the best ball tournaments, uh, man, you got to focus on week 17 a lot. Like, mm. So much of this. Pete, Pete had another incredible video on this that came out today, actually, about like the expected value of week 17. It's like 500 times the expected value of like advancing Whoa. to the playoffs in these tournaments. So like if you, you know, your odds of getting a team to week 17 in one of these best ball tournaments are, is like so low. But if you show up there with this, like, now you've got a DFS lineup, basically. So if you show up with, like, this uncorrelated DFS lineup that, like, also, like, has a ton of similar players as everyone else because, like, you you weren't kind of thinking through different structures and stuff. Um, And you're just kind of like, yeah, like, you know, Derrick Henry went off against uh, the Chargers and then the Texans in Week 16. And you have, like, one of the many, many Derrick Henry teams. uh, It doesn't look at all different from those teams and it's not correlated. So you need a ton of things to go right. Mm. Um, uh, just to get it. Yeah. You're like, you're like, am I just drawing debt? I made, I, I won the lottery to get here. And now do I actually have a chance to take this thing down? I, I think you do want to put yourself in a position where if you win the lottery to get into one of these finals, you want to have a, a real bullet. Mm. I like yeah, that. Well, Hayden Winks came out with his, his study too. And he was talking about that, like just the difference in points. It went from like 160 all the way up to like 200 for the championship team in the points that they scored. So you really have to make that, that lineup the best it possibly can be. And I think that's kind of a, a good way to look at it. Great as well. points. Yeah. Yeah. Pat, well, we appreciate you so much for being on the show. Let the people know where they can find you and what you guys are working on real quick. Yeah, we're, uh, we're really ramping up at ship chasing. Um, we're getting ready for a, a summer full of main events We're we're going to be live drafting main events by mid August, like uh, one to two a week. And nice. uh, we'll be out in Vegas again, doing, doing live main events and stuff too. But, but yeah, there'll be a ton of content on ship chasing this summer, lots of drafting. So check that out. And then uh, NBC sports edge uh, fantasy guide will be out uh, pretty soon. Uh, have wrapped up all the stuff that I've been writing for that, have a dynasty strategy article 
on kind of like my strategy for accumulating dynasty value and kind of my thoughts on, on that as opposed to like the, the win now type stuff. Um, did, did an auction article, did a ton of team preview, player preview stuff. So we got you covered with all that. Dynasty rankings just got updated on the site. Uh, so you can check those out on the premium side. And I'll be uh, working on some research articles uh, on best ball pretty soon here. So uh, check those out as well. Well, we appreciate you, Pat. We'll have to do this again. And we appreciate all of Whisper Nation that was in the chat. Uh, we will see you guys next week. For Johnny Game Time Hicks, I'm Big Travi. That's Austin Sear. Thanks, Pat. We're the Fancy Whispers. We're out of here. Peace. Peace. Hey, do you like mock drafts? We do too. You can come back every Monday and mock with us. Check out one of these videos and make sure you're liked and subscribed.